0: Well, I greet you everybody in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today. There are any number of ways that I could uh, start this message. There's a number of scriptures we could jump off from that place and go into the body of this message today. But I think I'll have you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm not going to hold you very long today just until I get finished. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the latter times, and we believe that's where we are today, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared, with a hot iron. Father, I cannot give this word today without the help of thy holy spirit. I cannot give this people what you would want me to give them. Only you can bring revelation knowledge of what we are to speak today. Lord, I ask for the anointing to fall upon me. I ask for the anointing to fall upon the hearts and the ears of the listeners, taking this word to our hearts as arrows of deliverance. In Jesus' name I pray, giving you all the praise and glory. And everybody would say, Amen and Amen. When we think of deceiving spirits, seducing spirits, we want to think of what's happening in society as a whole. And I don't think it would take uh, too very much for you if you watch the news or read the papers or or are a student of what's going on in the world today, you certainly realize that somebody's deceiving somebody, and somebody is seducing somebody. And we're talking about deceiving and seducing spirits who have changed the mindset of an entire generation. We're also talking about the way society has left its moral bearings and has drifted into a sea of amorality today, as possibly never before. <clears throat> we would like to think that that is just the world, but I've got news for you today, child of God. This terrible problem, these seducing spirits and deceiving spirits, are in the church also. And Today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about three of the most common temptations... That Satan is leveling against believers to change the priority of kingdom in their hearts and lives. And I'm going to explain uh, in a little while what I mean by that. This is one of the most powerful revelations that God ever gave me in prayer for the nation of America, in prayer for a revival in prayer for the body of Christ in America, and around the world for that matter, but especially in Western nations. I want to give you a definition, my description here, of the work of seducing or deceiving spirits. Seducing or deceiving spirits tempt God's people, they tempt God's people, to trade the truth of God's Word, and to accept something, that is contrary to the Word of God. They try to make something wrong, something that is wrong, seem innocent. To perform their acts of seduction, they attempt to make their enticements irresistible. They try to make the difference between black and white seem like a shade of gray. And if we do not know the Word of God and diligently seek His righteousness and hate every evil way, then we will become susceptible to these deceiving spirits as Scripture warns this is one of the greatest dangers in the last days. Now I want that to sink in. The cultural, moral battles that our nation is in It's not just a game of tiddlywinks. It's not just another thing that we're facing. It's one of the most dangerous deceptions of the last days, and it's also crept into the church. I have literally been astounded at how many Christians can vote the way they voted and not feel any Prick of conscience. Remember I read that verse to you, consciences that have been seared with a hot iron as they literally vote for candidates that are pro-death. They vote for candidates that will sanction the legalization of homosexual marriage. They vote for these candidates. They, they, they're Christians. They go to church. They're part of the body of Christ, but they feel no conscience over those type of votes. I want to tell you that's a dangerous thing. It never would have happened in this nation 50 years ago. It never would have happened because we still had a mooring. Now we were starting to drift even 50 years ago. A hundred years ago for sure This never would have taken place, would not have even been discussed, because the Bible still held top priority in Christians' lives in America. But today, and I'm going to show you three of the temptations that Satan is using to change Christians' perspective in these last days in this culture, in this nation that we live in, the United States of America. It's a dangerous, dangerous time. First of all, let me say that we as the church need to be praying for the church as never before in the times that we're living in. Because it is not an easy, light thing that we're talking about here. Seducing spirits begin to work by putting thoughts in people's minds. They use every means available to interject these thoughts that are contrary (coughs) to the teachings of God's Word. This is why when you sit down and you look at television, as, as a Christian, I'll be honest with you, I cannot afford to watch too much of secular television anymore. I really can't. Because you're literally bombarded with material that's designed to change the thought patterns of the individuals who are watching it. You're literally being desensitized to certain issues to where you have seen it so much, you've heard it so much, you begin to shrug it off. Oh, well, that's no big deal. But it is a big deal. Satan has honed his work down to a razor's edge over the last several thousands of years, I want you to look, turn with me in your Bibles, to 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15, and I want to look at something. This actually describes the three temptations that are common to all men. It describes three aspects of the sinful nature that resides in all men. Now somebody would say, well, Brother Paxton, we're Christians, we're born again, so we don't have a sin nature. Yes, we do. We have a sin nature as long as we are alive in the flesh. You said, well, I thought we were partakers of the divine nature. We are. I'm not going to go into that whole teaching. You can get my CD um, teaching on the outflow of the sanctification process. It explains that in detail there. But I will say this, when you're born again, and your spirit is recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, when you're born again and you start that sanctification process, absolutely you are a partaker of the divine nature. But your sin nature was not eradicated. Your sin nature was not eliminated. You're still living in the flesh. Now, the Bible says that the sin nature is rendered inoperative in the life of the Christian. As long as as you keep your faith in Christ and walk in the Spirit, the sin nature doesn't need to cause you problems. But we all realize, we all know, that every so often the old man has a resurrection in our life. And here's the thing about it. Even though the sin nature is rendered ineffective in a Christian's life, we will face temptation. And in 1 John 2.15, here are three of the most common temptations uh, that have to do with the sin nature of man, every human, and it has to do with, he's writing this to Christians. So he says this, "...love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not, is not, is not in him. For all that is in the world..." Here they are now. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there you see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that leads us to three great temptations. I mean, those are the entry points. Those are the avenues that Satan tries to gain advantage of in the life of every human being, Christian or otherwise. Let's say say them again. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that brings us to three powerful temptations that the enemy is using today to turn God's people from his path. they're very seductive. Sometimes they are difficult to detect. These three temptations are, number one, worldly possessions. Oh, you're gonna love this aren't you? Two, fear of being reviled, and three, unbelief. We're going to deal with all three of these briefly as we proceed. The first temptation, uh, the acquisition of material possessions, is being used by the enemy to seduce our natural desires so that you and I will begin to overcommit our time and our money to obtain things that we either shouldn't or can't afford. We live in a culture today that has the ability to produce many material things more than any time in the history of mankind. We also have the professional means to advertise, promote, and sell the products that our society can produce. This, along with the communication media, to deliver the advertising has created an atmosphere of emotional mind control that is often irresistible to the consumer. One of the main problems we face in today's spiritual battlefield is how to avoid being seduced by the many temptations being thrown at us concerning material things. These temptations have changed the course of man's response and commitment to the many material things that are available in the world today. The economic indebtedness of this nation is a prime example. We have been seduced into an economic whirlwind of buying and selling that is unprecedented. Our growing debt is destroying the economic structure of our society few people even bother to pay attention to the fact that we are being seduced into an economic storm the effects of which are going to stagger our imaginations. It concerned Jesus very much and he warned us about the buying and the selling in the last days. I want you to notice that when In the days of Noah, turn with me right over, let's see if I can find it real quick, to St. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 24. Turn to Matthew 24. When Jesus was talking about the last days, and he compared them to the days of Noah, let's see what he said here. Let's see what he said. Matthew 24, verse 36, well, we'll start in 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now I want, to, I want to point something out to you here that the Holy Spirit showed me. During the days of Noah, that was the same time frame when the giants were on the earth. That was the same time frame where there was tremendously heavy demonic activity. And in that verse of Scripture, we just read in Matthew, Jesus did not mention that. Also, during that time, it was the time of the homosexual abominations that were being committed in the world of that day, and Jesus doesn't mention that. It's a a certain fact that there were many, many sins that were prevalent in the days of Noah. But Jesus focused in on one specific point that he wanted to make in this verse of Scripture. And that point was that everybody was so taken up and so caught up in the everyday affairs of life, they were so committed to to making that living, they were so committed to what they wanted to do, to what their goals were, that they failed to recognize the signs of the times. They failed to heed the warning of the man of God, Noah, as he warned them that a deluge was coming. They failed to make preparation to save their families and to board the ark and to be saved in the day of calamity. They failed. Why? All of those tremendously wicked sins were going on, but their downfall was the common, ordinary, everyday life that they were living where God had taken third or fourth or fifth place and their own desires had taken first place in their lives. And that was their downfall, ladies and gentlemen. And it could be, it could sadly be, that that might just could be the downfall of the American Christian today. It breaks my heart to say it, but say it I must. It could be our downfall in this nation today as we have stood by, so concerned about our pocketbook and our economies and and all of the things and the baubles and the trinkets and the stuff. We have allowed laws to get passed. We We have been lulled to sleep by the cares of this life that have inundated our thinking, taken up our time, wasted our energy when Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. But instead, we've been put to sleep by the enemy. We are asleep in the lap of Delilah, and we rise no more with the same power that we once had. And as we sleep, as we sleep, laws get passed that have undermined the foundation of the United States of America. And a sleepy, drowsy church says little to nothing. But thanks be to God, I believe God is raising up a remnant in this hour a remnant that will begin once again to call out to Him to appeal to heaven in prayer, to bombard the gates of glory, to approach the throne of Almighty God with repentance in our hearts and with victory on our lips as God will reach out once again and stir up a revival in the United States of America. Glory be to God. Somebody asked me the other day, do you believe it's going to be revival or judgment? And my answer was both. Judgment is coming to the United States of America, no question about it, it's coming. A great shaking is about to take place in the United States of America, but in the midst of the shaking, in the midst of the judgment, God is going to pour out His Spirit on a remnant, and there's going to be a revival. And people are going to get saved, and sick bodies are going to be healed, and people are going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! And Christians who have been lulled to sleep by the enemy, taken up with eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and all overrun by the days of care and the affairs of life, are going to come to their senses and repent and run back to having a kingdom focus in these last days. This is a great temptation. And it's a temptation that Satan has been successful if we fall victim to this deception in material goods, it will cause us to become spiritually dull and sluggish. We will no longer, like Noah and the people of Noah's day, we will no longer be sensitive to the spiritual warnings around us. It, it, money and things causes us to develop a false sense of spiritual pride that we have all things under control instead of teaching us to trust God and to be thankful for what God blesses us with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Satan has been successfully using the material things of our world to seduce us into many of his worldly traps. The attachment to so many things of the world is not normal behavior for a Christian. I want to tell you that. I tried to illustrate it briefly a moment ago. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things that you need will be added to you. Normal for the Christian is not to be preoccupied with the daily life Normal for the Christian is I can't wait to get to that prayer altar. I can't wait to hear what the Holy Ghost is saying. I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to pray with my wife. I can't wait to teach my children of the ways of the Lord. Normal for a Christian is putting the kingdom first and all else after it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, It is no longer just a question of food, drink, clothing, and shelter. Now we are encountering the work of demons as they attempt to lure us into the very ways of this world system. Many Christians have become so attracted and so indebted to material possessions in our society they have little time or funds left for the work of the Lord. Now listen. Let me be clear about this. I am not speaking against God's blessings because we all know God is a blesser and God loves to bless His children. I'm going to tell you something right now. I believe in prosperity. I believe that God wants to prosper you and God wants to bless you so that you can take and establish His kingdom wherever you go. I believe that the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and He addeth no sorrow to them. I believe in all of that. I don't believe it should be our focus in the realm of things. It always needs to stay in the realm of kingdom. No, God is not opposed to you or I as believers having things. God's not opposed to that. You've heard it many times as a cliche, God is opposed to things having me and things having you. He wants our heart, He wants all of our heart, He wants the best of our time, He wants the best of our energy, He wants the best of our ability, he, God wants the best of us, period, at all times. And that, that should be dedicated to the Lord if you are a Christian. Come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This, what I'm telling you, used to be the norm a hundred years ago. Normal Christian life. A hundred years ago, people came to Christ. Their whole lives changed, and so did all of their priorities and the way they looked at things. It changed. Let's listen to what Paul said. So wait before we do, I, I'm not speaking out against God's blessings. God does bless his people. The Bible does, however, teach us to keep our lives free from the love of money and to be content with what we have, whether it's much or little. Paul said this. Paul said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. That's Philippians four, eleven 11-13. Hebrews 13.5 says this keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus admonished us not to be anxious over material things but to recognize that God's kingdom is more important than money. The Bible teaches we are to grow in our trust of God and He will guide us as to how we are to provide for our needs. Matthew six, twenty-five and 26 and 33, say this, Therefore I tell you, <clears throat> do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they Now in the 33rd verse of 6th chapter of Matthew, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the first great temptation that Satan uses to divert our eyes from the ways of the Lord is material possessions. If material possessions can have the first place in our vision, then we're in trouble. If it takes the place of God as first place in our lives, then we're in trouble. The second great temptation the enemy is using in America today is to get us to be overly concerned about what people may think of us. We want to avoid being reviled. And that word revile means to discredit, to dishonor, to berate, to put down, to make fun of, to ridicule, or to reject. The enemy has seduced Christians today with a fear of standing up against the sins of the world, worried about being reviled. So we have sat idly by and done little to prevent the biblical standards in our society from deteriorating. We are too concerned with our credibility in the eyes of the world. And I want to stop there and I want to say this. I don't know how many times I have sat and I have listened at leadership. And I've been in leadership in the church for 35 years now. And I know a little bit about it. And I've sat and I've listened to these people try to figure out ways to become acceptable to society so that everybody would want to come to their church. I've sat and I've watched as they've compromised biblical standard after biblical standard Because we don't want to offend anybody. We want numbers to come here. If we get them here, we can preach to them. Yes, but you're not preaching anything. You're preaching a watered-down mixture of psychology and the Word. You're not preaching the true, unadulterated Word of God if you're not taking a stand against what the Word of God calls sin. And I got to say this to you today. And this is a little bit heavy, a little bit strong. I'm not overly concerned with who comes or who doesn't come. I just need to have a word for those who do come. I can't worry about offending society. If they don't want to come, they don't want to come. If they don't come to Christ, they will die lost. And my heart must not, and my ministry must not water down the truth of that message in order to get them into a room and form some kind of a Christian club where no gospel is ever preached. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to preach the truth of the gospel just like Finney preached it, just like Moody preached it, just like Wesley preached it, just like the Apostle Paul preached it, just like Jesus gave it. We need to preach the gospel. Sin is still sin, and if it offends the community, It offends them. If they don't come, they don't come. But somebody will come, and whoever does come needs to hear the true gospel and get saved. The amen goes right there. They need to hear the true gospel and get saved. Hallelujah. Stop worrying about whether or not you're reviled. Just like in the days of Noah... So often we do not want to openly take a stand against sin. We would rather, it seems, just attend to the personal affairs of our life and not be bothered. Now that's how temptation 1 and temptation 2 dovetails and works together. It's an attack of the enemy, folks. Hallelujah. I'd rather be like Noah... Not like the people that were in his day. I'd rather be like Noah, who took a stand. And because he took a stand, he was able to save his family from the coming storms of judgment. Glory be to God. In the last generation, our society has changed dramatically. Never in the history of the human race has a single society experienced such a breakdown in its moral standards in so short a period of time. The fact that so many Americans feel free to openly live in sin says more than anything else of our weakness as Christians to stand up for and live by biblical standards. No longer do we cause conviction in the hearts of non Christians. I I want to tell you something. I'm studying the life right now of Charles Finney, and I'm actually studying several revivals in the past history, several revivalists as well. There were times when Finney would preach and men would be so shaken and smitten with the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. There were times when Jonathan Edwards would preach, and men would begin to shake and fall to the ground, smitten by the power of God. We seem to have lost that in today's preaching of, you're okay, I'm okay. You're all that. Oh, it's your best life now. i got news for you, sir. The best life is the heavenly life. The treasure that we need to be laying up for ourselves is the treasure that's found in heaven. And we're not even going there if we're not born again. We no longer cause conviction. By the way we live our lives, by the message that we preach, and so many... Not not everybody. Not everybody. How many knows today that God always has a remnant? Glory be to God. I'm part of that remnant. I believe many of you are part of that remnant, or you probably wouldn't be listening to me. And we wouldn't be listening to some of the great preachers and teachers that we are listening to to today that are calling this nation to repent. Repent. And that's the only hope for America is that America would repent. Because there's no conviction in the way we live our lives anymore, and there's no conviction for that sinner in the way that we present the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not just all about you, it's about the glory of God. Jesus died to save sinners. It dishonors Him terribly when we don't tell men that they are sinners and present His grace to them so that they might be saved. But we're afraid. It's two things there, see. We're taken up with our own affairs. Number one. And secondly, we're afraid to be mocked. We're afraid to be criticized. We're afraid to be persecuted. But i got news for you. Persecution is coming to the United States of America, church. You better get ready. You better wake up. Persecution is coming. Glory to God. Help us, Lord. Many Christians today live no differently than the way most people in the world live. As Christians, today many are experiencing the same defeat in their lives that the people of this world are experiencing. I'm here to tell you today, there is still a difference between us and them. There is still a difference between Jesus and the devil. There is still a difference between the Christian and the world. At least there ought to be. And many of you that are listening to me right now, you just need a good old dose of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God and the Lamb forever. And you need to get to an old-fashioned altar somewhere and repent of your sins, and repent of your laziness, and repent of your worldliness... And get back to the Bible standard that Jesus Christ gave to His church to live by. Hallelujah. Well, I'm telling you, America's in trouble today. The church in America is in trouble today. Too often times, we look just like that world. And you say, well, we're trying to win them. Listen, You don't win a drunk by drinking with him. You don't win a sinner by sinning with him. You win the sinner by lifting Christ higher and higher, both in the the words that you speak and the way that you live your life. Glory be to God. And you love them into the kingdom of God from a pure heart, from a holy lifestyle. You love them into the kingdom of God in this hour. Praise God. Our society's ability to teach and influence us has seduced us. Listen, I want to say this again. Our society's ability to teach and influence us has seduced us into becoming apathetic towards sin. And seduction and deception breed domination. We are about at that point. And I know many are going to look at me and they're going to laugh and they're going to make fun of me and they're going to say I'm preaching doom and gloom and all that. But you say what you want to. We are about to the place in America today where the church is going to be dominated by the government. We are there. We are there. And we have allowed ourselves to go there by falling for these first two temptations that Satan has used against us to take our eyes off the ways of the Lord. Now you mark it down. You can laugh now, but you come back and see me later, and we'll see if you're still laughing. Because it's the truth, my friend. And that brings me to the third temptation that the enemy is using on Christians today. And it's, it's almost unnoticed, but it's unbelief. We have been seduced to believe that God will not carry out His judgment against unrighteousness. We are told by many preachers uh, in, in many pulpits of the land today that God's not going to judge us. God's going to just give us riches. That is a lie. We have been seduced by unbelief. We have relegated the faith life to using faith to get stuff until we don't even know what real faith is anymore. And so now when God says, if a society does this, I'm going to judge them, we don't believe He's going to do it. That's unbelief. We don't have proper faith, see? Because our eyes are on something else. We've been seduced to believe to believe that God doesn't really mean what he has said in his word. It's the same temptation that Satan used against Adam and Eve in the garden. It's what caused them to disobey God's word. Jesus said it would be the same today as it was in the days of Noah. The people in Noah's day, when Noah was building that ark, they did not believe that judgment was coming. They laughed at Noah, they made fun of Noah, they reviled Noah and they drowned, and they died, and they were consumed in that flood. The temptation of unbelief has brought a lot of compromise into the body of Christ. Because unbelief and compromise always go together. Several of our Christian leaders, and I could name them, and I will name a few, several of the great men and leaders of God in America have warned that judgment is most certainly coming. Pat Robertson, David Wilkerson, Billy Graham, Jonathan Kahn, Perry Stone, many others. Judgment is coming. This subject of judgment or discipline is not a popular topic. It sure isn't. You've got Christians right now. I know the devil's not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You've got Christians right now in local churches that want to go into ministry that feel that they shouldn't have to prove themselves to anybody. That's a lie from the devil. You need to shut up, get under your authority, prove yourself to that authority, work the work that God gives you to do until God lifts you up and elevates you and stop trying to elevate yourself. Hallelujah. You need a pastor. You need a pastor. You need a pastor. Now, I'm prophesying to you right now, church. Wake up. The day of the renegade is over. The day of the Lone Ranger is over. God is in the apostolic teams. Hey! God is going to send forth teams. He's going to anoint teams. God's going to do this as a sovereign work to combat these three satanic temptations that we are talking about today. You've heard the old statement, Lester Summerall used to say it all the time, the first banana that leaves the bunch is the one that gets peeled. Listen, you need to find your tribe, and you need to run with the pack, and you need to get in there and and accept the authority God has placed over you in the Lord. Hallelujah! If you, if you come to Acts 26-18 Ministries to get you a job, the first question I'm going to ask you, please give me a pastor's reference. If you can't do it, I'm not hiring you. The times that we're living in is too critical. I need a pastor's reference and three other references about your character before I'm going to put you in a position of authority. Oh, Lord, you're meddling now, brother. You're mighty right I'm meddling. The devil's been meddling. The devil's been tearing up churches. The devil's been causing these little rebels to get up and split churches and tear pastors' hearts out. You're mighty right I'm going to meddle. We're going to put down this false Absalom spirit that has crept into the church. We're going to put it down. We're going to cast it out in Jesus' name. And we're going to see the anointing start flowing through our congregations once again and through our lives as believers. And when we walk into a room, sinners will be convicted by our very presence when we get anointed once again. Hallelujah! That's what I'm talking about. Now let me get back on course. Let me get back on course. I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. Unbelief and compromise goes together. Judgment and discipline is not a popular topic. However, I want to tell you something. We are all accountable for the way we live our lives. We are accountable for the way we run our ministries. We are accountable for the way we divide the word of truth. We need to rightly divide it. We are accountable... We are going to be held and and give account for our lives as Christians. We're going to be brought into judgment as Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. No, we're not going to lose our salvation, but we may lose rewards. We need to have a pure heart before Jesus today. We need to do things from a pure motive today. If you're doing things from a pure motive, you have no problem having it inspected. You have no problem for the safeguards that Jesus has put for His body in place. Hallelujah! Oh God, clear our motives. Oh God, clear our hearts and consciences from any offense today, God. For judgment will come. The Bible says, if judgment begins with the house of God, and it does. If judgment first begins at the house of God, what shall the end be of those who believe not the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I believe that as a, as a Christian, I believe we're going to face a stricter judgment if our lives don't reflect Christ in such a way that the unbelievers can become converted. And as we preach this prophetically, with a prophetic unction on it, I believe that many are going to repent and come back to the altar and to live as God intended us to live. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now listen listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6. It says, The Lord disciplines those He loves. When God disciplines me, it's because He loves me. When God corrects me, whether it's through His Word or through another brother or sister, through my pastor, through an evangelist friend, through a prophet or apostle or a teacher, when God brings correction to my life, when God brings chastisement to my life, when God brings rebuke into my life, it's because He loves me. And He cares about whether or not I reflect His Son. Hear my heart today, saints. Hear my heart. God disciplines people when they fall into deception and become misguided and careless. You and I almost always think of judgment as something negative, but when administered by a loving judge, discipline produces something good. A loving disciplinarian places the overall well-being of those in need of correction above the inner hurt and pain experienced by the one carrying out the discipline. Uncompromising discipline and sacrificial love go hand in hand. I want you to think of that for a moment while I catch my breath. I'm going to say it again. Hallelujah to God. I sense the Holy Ghost in this place today. I believe people are going to be set free today. I believe we're going to see people lined up and placed in their proper order in the body of Christ today. And when that happens, your destiny is going to come to pass. <laughs> Glory to God. You're going to see your vision come to pass. Hallelujah. First, you've got to get in line. Hallelujah hallelujah, uncompromising discipline and sacrificial love go hand in hand. America has benefited from God's blessing over and above most nations throughout history. This is especially true in a spiritual perspective. Christianity has been the dominant religious faith in America from the very beginning. From the very beginning. And we are going to be held accountable for the resources and the opportunities that God has given us and will give us in the future. Listen to Luke 12, verse 48b. From everyone who has been given much will much be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Clearly our relationship with the Lord cannot be a one-way street. Seeking to live a righteous life is not optional. We are commanded to be holy because God is holy. We are to be the salt of the earth, the preservers of good in our society, and a light that is set on a hill, bringing hope to a dark world. God allows the devil to test our commitment to his righteousness. Now hear me. God allows Satan to test our commitment to his righteousness. Our lack of commitment to his biblical standards cannot be hidden for very long. And to be sure, the sin will become known. In this last generation, Satan and the world system have challenged our spiritual walk as never before. We have opened the door to the enemy and he has flooded our homes with his worldly ways. The result has been a collapse of the whole moral structure of our society. With our strong Christian heritage and knowledge of God's Word, we today are without excuse. And too often times, As the church, instead of doing something about our country's moral decay, we have become part of the problem. And there's many, many, many more scriptures that we could look at today. But I want to tell you something. And I'm going to start getting ready to close here in just a minute. I've held you too long with the power of media in our society to expose and influence us to accept many of its standards, it's not too difficult to see why God wants to warn us about these last days and why He has warned us in His Word about these last days. It's become so hard for Christians to stand up for righteousness. Sometimes when you do, st- when you do so, it feels like you're pounding your head against a wall. It's much easier, in many people's view, to just give in, to be tolerant to to compromise. We know that to rock the boat will only bring more stress and pressure. So why bother? That's the attitude of many. We just go about doing our own thing, taking care of our own affairs just as Jesus warned us would happen in our day. Please hear Brother Paxton today. That kind of an attitude means that we have have been seduced and we have been deceived by the enemy. The Lord never promised us a life of ease. Spiritual warfare is not easy. We are told by Jesus Christ Himself to count the cost because we have been called to become spiritual warriors, Christian soldiers, if you will. In the the past, this has even brought death to some. And today, all around this world, Christians are dying for the testimony of Jesus Christ. While we worry about how many cars we got in the driveway, and can we get us a bigger house on the top of Knob Hill, I'm telling you, it's wrong, church. And it's changed our position on the things that matter to God's heart the most. And it softened us towards the sin of our society. It's a bold thing to say. But the ease of Christianity in America will soon be coming to an end. We are rapidly approaching the day when to be a biblical Christian in America will require us to make a choice. We're going to have to make a choice to either be a spiritual warrior or a POW or go AWOL. Because you're not going to be able to dance with the world and hang out with God at the same time. If you want to be down with the world, you're going to lose your soul. If you want to be of the world, you can't be of God. It's just that simple. You and I might not have personally help create the current problem in our society, but we must come face to face with the type of spiritual warfare that is now taking place everywhere. We can no longer ride the fence. We can no longer hide our head in the sand. Too many lives are being blown away. Too many families are being destroyed. And you and I as Christians are the only ones that have the true answers to solve these problems. Governments, politicians, and organizations are going to continue to try to come up with more innovative organizations and programs to stop the moral holocaust that's taking place, but they will fail and continue to fail. It's up to the body of Christ. It's up to you and me to put the truth out there to these people. Hallelujah. And to pray and to believe God and to become a part of a revival in these last days. The Bible teaches us that Satan is a powerful spiritual adversary, but it also teaches us that as Christians, we do not have to live in fear of him. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you (laughs) is greater than the one who is in the world. He that is within you is greater, greater, God is greater, God is greater than he that's in the world. That's talking about the devil. Satan can cause tremendous spiritual damage if we are not prepared to stand against him. This is why we must be prepared. In these troubled times, we must prepare ourselves. We must be on the alert and we must be sensitive to the spiritual harm of what is taking place around us in this present worldly environment. Learn what is right and wrong from a Biblical standpoint. Become hungry and thirsty for a life of righteousness. Hallelujah! In this cold world of darkness, Christians are the only ray of sunlight with any chance of bringing any hope at all to those who are down and out the lost. This will only take place, beloved, if you and I are willing to stand in the gap and fight the battle that must be fought in order to stop what is happening today in our society. In the world, whether business or military operations, sports or other endeavors, people spend all kinds of time in order to know and understand their competition and to know their competitors' strategies. They devote a lot of energy to laying out great plans and then work hard to carefully prepare themselves to implement those plans for their defense and counterattacks. To be successful, people must follow this principle of preparation. And the scripture says that the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of righteousness. We've become lazy when it comes to the things of the Bible, often leaving it on the shelf from Sunday to Sunday to gather dust, when we ought to be preparing ourselves. To, to studying and learning the enemy's strategies and what we can do in the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome him. Hallelujah. My Lord, you need to be prepared so that you do not become a victim of the cultural revolution that's taking place in our society today. There's only one answer that will put a stop to the devastation in so many lives. Christians in America must strengthen their position and resist yielding to the standards of the world. This is going to take a strong commitment and a willingness to engage in some heavy spiritual combat on our part. Most Americans would quickly rise to defend their rights for freedom or to protect this country. But in the area of spiritual warfare, it seems that so many have lost their courage today. Mark Twain was once quoted as saying, It is curious that physical courage should be so common in the world and moral courage so rare. Christianity in our country has come to mean the requiring of very little sacrifice. That is about to change, ladies and gentlemen. As a result, as a result of us demanding nothing to be required of us, we should just be able to do what we please, as a result, we have grown spiritually soft and complacent and lazy and apathetic about sin. We have allowed our country to deteriorate spiritually to the point that God only has one option, to save us from self-destruction. He has to judge our nation. And He has to discipline its people. There are too many Christian people in our country whom God loves for Him to allow our nation to continue in the direction chosen by this last generation. Now, I want to close today with this verse of Scripture. Hebrews 10, verse 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. God help us in the United States of America today. Father, help us as your church today, Lord God, to stand up for you. Help us today, God, to lay aside the weight and the sins that so easily beset us. Help us, Lord God, to see your viewpoint of society today. And help us, God, to overcome the temptation for worldly possessions, the temptation that we fear to be reviled, and the temptation of unbelief in our own personal lives, each of us, Lord, in our own personal lives. And as we gain the victory, help us, Lord, to take your victory to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.